0: Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute.
1: There's an old adage in Christianity that God writes straight with crooked lines. The same can be said for many on their course to success. A good leader needs to know how to bend and when to bend. It's like the old adage, know when to hold them, know when to fold them. That ability to change course in the midst of a project we refer to as pivoting, beginning by our understanding of success and lived through our willingness to change. Sometimes our ability to succeed depends upon our ability to pivot. Hi everybody, I'm so glad to be back with you again and to be able to speak with you about how we are supposed to lead in the footsteps of Christ and as his agents in the world, both being people of power and success, which you all are, but also people of faith. And how do we combine and and bring those two together? I think that actually, believe it or not, the world, even in its secular success models, has need of the wisdom of God in order to be perfected. Just like, believe it or not, the practice of Christians can be honed and can be regulated in a sense also by the realism that comes from the secular world. I think that the two, in other words, can, can go hand in hand like grace and nature or like the soul and the body or like charity and friendship. I mean, there's a lot of analogies like this. But faith and business or spirituality and business actually have a lot that is consonant. And the leadership that comes in faith and the leadership that comes in our business actually also have a lot that is consonant with each other. And this is exactly what you found in your various positions of power and authority in the world. You found that actually the wisdom of God has a word to say about what can make for ultimate success, even from a worldly perspective. We're not used to hearing it that way. We, we tend to think, okay, business is business and faith is faith. Faith is about God, emotions, the heart, friendship, whatever, family, and that our business, that's where numbers matter, drive matters, and where materialism kind of flourishes. And I agree, it certainly can be that way, especially if we leave business bereft of the guiding light of faith and the presence of God that comes to it through believers. I just don't want to see it left bereft of that. I actually think that God sends believers into the world of business so that business can be done in and with and through his grace. And when that happens, an amazing thing is it takes place. First of all, our businesses themselves become places where Christ can operate within the employees and within the culture of that working atmosphere allowing all of those who are engaged in business to actually be sanctified during the day. And also something amazing happens, the product and the bottom line no longer become the ultimate guide to value. By interjecting Christians in the work sphere who actually bring their faith to work, we actually change the dynamic and the parameters of the working experience itself. Because now people are working there for whom profit is not the end goal. It's a welcome goal. It's a wonderful fruit of of what we do, but it's not the be all and end all that motivates a Christian in the workplace. And how welcome is that, right? Because when we have that attitude, we can then do the same thing to transform our world to say that the products that we create and the material goods that are made on the other end of business are also not the be all and end all. There's something greater called the dignity of the person and the spiritual beginnings and spiritual ends of every human being. Well, folks, that's not going to be proclaimed effectively if we limit religion's purview to the family. As wonderful as it is, and even as religion might have a a primary focus on the world of family, it cannot forget that secondary focus that it has to have on the world of work, if it does, then nothing will regulate or rein in the powers of just a really robust, but sometimes a greedy, manipulative, and grinding form of capitalism that actually can bring people down instead of lifting them up. Capitalism needs to discover its soul, and any economic system has and finds its soul in the people who use it and who employ it. And so how wonderful it would be to have true Christian capitalists who both advance the society and do so with its ethical norms intact, primary, and always assured. Well, guys, that's the role of the Catholic business leader, and that's why I'm taking the time to talk to you. But I want to go beyond today just looking at that in a general sense. I want to get into the nitty-gritty and talk about some of the lessons that we actually can learn in the secular sphere from Christianity and things that Christianity can be reminded of and improve upon in practice that come from the secular sphere. And at the heart of it all is this understanding of the word pivot. I just love that word because it's really the heart of the flexibility that denotes someone who wields power with a true art. Right. When you're really in power and you're really driving a team forward, flexibility is going to be the guarantor of your success. The person who can change, who can flex, who can move and do so well and the different circumstances that can come their way during a process of production or process of anything, you know, really that, that we're running or making in our lives. That person is going to guarantee the success of the team. You don't just need a driver. In other words, you need an intelligent driver, someone who has a strong sense of analogy, who can reposition the goal in the perspective that's consonant with the circumstances that limit the exercise of that particular endeavor or the functioning of that team. That takes a lot of intellectual giftedness and it takes an ability to re-say the same things in many ways. But this analogy is, the power of analogy is actually side by side with this important concept of being able to place the pivot and to place it well. So before we go any further, I want to stop and just say a prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to come upon us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. amen. Dear Lord, we gather today in order to hear your wisdom, to learn from you. We ask you to imbue this particular conference with the power of your spirit. Guide us, mold us, lead us, so that we can lead your children towards you in justice and in truth. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. John, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so where do we begin? The power of the pivot is always positioned, first of all, within the context of the drive that the leader exhibits in order to attain a goal. We're not pivoting, in other words, at the level of planning. Planning doesn't pivot. Planning incorporates circumstances that are there into the plan ahead of time. It's almost like aiming the gun, right? A lot of times young entrepreneurs are accused of proceeding as ready, fire, aim, right? Like we're ready. And then we just start doing things and we never took the time to really aim. Well, that's all done by the understanding that we have of our plan and the planning and strategy that we formulate. But in that, we try to understand every circumstance that could come together and find the optimal way. The difference is that after you've actually engaged in the activity and you're running things, the best made plans are those that are dynamic, able to change. And how is it that we can change them and give ourselves permission to change well enough and frequently enough to guarantee success.
0: Would you like to hear more from Father Nathan? Join the St. John Leadership Network and receive a two-minute glance at the gospel every Sunday morning right to your phone. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org and join for free today. There's an old adage that the best
1: plans are always dynamic, right? That is the best laid plans are always those that are able to change. And that's because anyone who's ever led an endeavor in truth knows to expect the unexpected. (laughs) I think it's one of those kind of clever sayings that sums up what all of us need to constantly remember because we can be really hard on our leaders we can act like our leaders should have thought of everything ahead of time. And, and sometimes people want to lead even in a vacuum saying, if I'm a good leader, then I'm going to succeed no matter what. Forgetting that the greatest leaders that, that there were, are in history oftentimes failed. And they didn't necessarily fail because they were bad leaders. They didn't necessarily fail because they didn't have skill. They sometimes failed because their people were crazy. I mean, you might just be given a, a, a raw deal in terms of the people that you're working with. You might not have a team that has the talents that you need. And not every football team ends up getting a Disney movie made out of it, right? And not every, so, so that ability of the leader to, to redefine success according to what he's being given and the certain circumstances of his execution is an absolutely key thing i cannot in other words pretend that my job as a leader is simply to drive like a tank through whatever comes my way to really be successful sometimes i have to know how to go around things how to go over things how to pick my battles and even yes sometimes how to fail in small things so that i can win in the big thing this takes a lot of maturity because I think a lot of people spontaneously identify great leaders with that type of drive, right? But drive needs to be said in many different ways. Sometimes drive is the charge up the mountainside. There is sometimes the need for the inexorable, passionate drive that takes a soldier to the top of the mountain and to take the, the defenses, you know, and hand-to-hand combat, Right? And we know that a leader who has that kind of grit inspires confidence. But sometimes winning and success and drive are spoken with the intelligence to adapt, to pivot and to move. Not because the enemy needs to be overcome by sheer force, but because more can even be gained by making a friend out of the enemy or more can even be gained by a strategic loss in order for an ultimate victory. That ability to allow ourselves to have that flexibility of spirit is absolutely critical. And history is replete with examples. Just think of Thomas Edison, for example, when he invented the light bulb. It was an amazing series. He had to find what type of filament would burn in in the way that he he needed it to burn, in the context that he needed it to burn. And he tried like a thousand different kinds of filaments inside of the light bulb. And people around him were saying, gosh, you know, you failed. You found 10,000 ways that the thing doesn't work. You keep on trying. I mean, he tried rats, hair. He tried bamboo, he tried wood, he tried threads, every material that he could in order to see which one would be the correct way to make the light bulb function. And people were, of course, doubting his ability to do it. They said that he failed and he kept on failing. But when he finally succeeded, he said, I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. Or in another spot, he wrote, I didn't fail a thousand times. The light bulb was an invention with a thousand steps. Or you go to the Wright brothers, for example, who are jumping off of the sand hill at Kitty Hawk. I hope everyone can one day climb that great sand dune at Kitty Hawk. Do you know that they crashed like a thousand times on that stupid hill before their plane finally took off? That's amazing to me. How many people laughed at them, said it was impossible? How many other people crashed a thousand times? But they kept trying. They kept adjusting they kept thinking, they were willing to say that our initial plan might not have worked, but that is actually a step forward for us towards a plan that actually will. You take all that grittiness of drive that's in so many of our spirits about a successful leader. You know, I'm thinking of General George Patton when he was in World War I and was leading an assault with tanks and was being repulsed by the enemy fire. In order to motivate his troops, he actually jumped out of the turret and started firing his six shooters at the enemy saying to charge and he led the charge of the tanks but with his body his torso sticking out of the tank and shooting a six shooter at the enemy right so that now that is someone they call them old blood and guts because of that that type of demonstration of absolute courage obviously there's a place for that but most of the time we leaders need to demonstrate and even I would say greater form of drive, which is the ability to not stop when we hit walls. Things happen. Our team, people, people's relatives die on the team, slowing the project down. The economy shifts, a pandemic bursts out amongst us. All kinds of things that we couldn't anticipate happen. The supply chains are ruined and because the supply chains are ruined, we can't have the pieces that we need. Or the attitudes of people change and you can no longer lead in the old ways that you were used to because now we're in a different world and a different vocabulary and a different set of sensitivities. Well, how bad do you really want to get to the top to be able to really get there in a situation like that? I have to be able to demonstrate flexibility. And this is where your Catholic faith can come in to help you in a great way. Obviously, the world of spirituality and the world of practicality are not the same. Obviously, there's limits between the two. And sometimes people will invoke spirituality in order to reduce it to just another exercise of a a means to the end of a practical success. I'm not doing that, though. What I am saying is that we who are Christians can, with Savvy, be able to make the pivots and make them well because of what we've learned from our faith. I'm talking here about the doctrine of providence. The doctrine of providence holds that God is never outdone and that at any moment of our lives, God's grace is present in order to guide us towards union with him. And because of that, we always maintain a fundamental optimism that says I cannot be undone because if God is behind me no matter what, I know that if I'm with Him, I'm going to achieve the final end goal of salvation and union with Him. Even if you're on the earth, that's written large in the letters of the cross and of defeat and of failure. Well, in an analogous way, the intelligence of the practical organizational leader, the work leader, the leader in business, needs to have that same type of optimism. What will sink you? is if you discourage yourself from ever being able to make a pivot. Many of us find that our desire for perfection is greater than our desire for success. And that, my friends, is the problem. We can be just too inflexible with our definition of victory, thinking that we should have and could have foreseen every eventuality, when in fact we can't. The real sign of leadership is not that we planned out every eventuality, The real sign of leadership is that we made ourselves adept to be able to change as needed in order to still hit the target. I'm thinking of General William Tecumseh Sherman when he went through Georgia at the end in 1864 in an effort to end the Civil War. And I I don't agree necessarily with his means uh, that he did. He was basically a, a proponent of a type of total warfare where he wanted to inflict civilian damage on the enemy to discourage them. I'm not talking about that. But one thing that made him so dangerous is that he was willing to cut himself off from his supply lines and simply forage on the land. Now, forage, of course, is a loose term. And I want to speak delicately about this because obviously foraging means taking other civilians' things and having the men loot every farm they came across, etc. But from the vantage point of, of his drive to the sea, and then from there up to Columbia, and from there up to Raleigh, North Carolina, what made him unstoppable was that he was severed from his supply lines. He didn't need any. He made himself the master of the pivot, and by so doing, he was unstoppable from the confederate forces. And our faith kind of teaches us to do the same. I mean, from the moment that you're baptized on your journey to God, there are no guarantees. There is no rule book that if you simply decide this way or that way, you're going to be safe. God asks us to walk on water sometimes. God asks us to trust in him. God asks us to make a myriad of decisions every single day with our freedom, knowing that we'll be judged based upon our free acts. I mean, if you're really that focused on security, then you're not going to live an authentically human life according to God's plan. You're going to find any kind of society structure, any kind of other excuse of people who will tell you how to live to be safe. But there's something we need to want more than safety, And that's the joy of knowing that we're loving God back with all of our freedom and all of
0: our responsibility. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network, where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today.
1: So we all understand the importance of the pivot. We understand the importance that we have of being able to, to maneuver our way through the things that we can't plan for the walls that we hit along the way in order to eventually succeed. But where does it all begin? How do I unleash my ability to pivot and to pivot? Well, I think at the root of all pivoting is the understanding that we have of success. And I can say this with a bit of a smile, right? Because yeah, I think you see what I mean. A leader of small stature will lead her organization from a point of view of safety and security. In other words, guaranteeing to their board, to their investors, to the their people that are above them that in fact they have a wonderful plan and then following that plan to a T. When bad times hit or struggling moments come, they can then blame any kind of failure upon everyone around them and be safe and secure. I followed the plan. I did what I was told. And be with their people; they can be extremely rough, saying you didn't do what was told. Success is jeopardized by you, etc. And I say they're leaders of a small stature because while they might be excellent and useful in certain scenarios, and I don't I don't disparage their total of value, but they there's something lacking. A true leader will be able to navigate in waters that are not charted because they demonstrate thereby an understanding of the process and an ability to speak to the heart of their team that enables them to be successful no matter what. I'm thinking here of Ernest Shackleton, uh, an amazing explorer of the Antarctic. And, and all that happened, you know, he had everything mapped out. He had meat planned, and dog food planned, and scientific inquiry planned, and a chart planned out for how he was going to be the first explorer to cross Antarctica, to make it from the shelf all the way to the pole, and and to cross Antarctica. And everything went wrong. His his boat became ice-locked, and it was ice-locked in such a way that it would never recover, never be unfrozen, and he had to abandon his boat without even fully knowing where they were, drag another boat over to an island, leave half of his team on an island, and dead reckon a course across the southern seas in the middle of a hurricane through 800 miles of open water, to land on the place where he was trying to go, the only safe harbor that there was where there was any civilization. And when he got there, he got there on the wrong side of the island, and the boat was being smashed against the shore. So he had to abandon the boat and then traverse the mountains of the island. It was such a desperate race against nature, against time, against hunger, and he did it. At the very end, for example, there's a very famous story. He he got to the top of the mountain and his men were, were basically dying in front of him. It was the middle of the night. There was a fog. He couldn't see anything. And he literally slid on his coiled ropes down the side of the mountain, not knowing if they would slide off the mountain into a ravine, if they would die the next moment. He just risked it. And ended up being at that moment fortunate, one of the few moments of fortune in his entire uh, time there. But he pivoted and every one of his men survived and he brought them all back safely to England. But he was a master at the same time of redefining success. Imagine if Shackleton were to say to himself, I'm doing this wrong. So many of us walk around, we're doing it wrong, our people are doing it wrong, Judy did it wrong, Johnny did it wrong, the, the, the president shouldn't be the president, the government did it wrong, and we look for an excuse to blame because honestly, we're not really exercising our freedom. We're just punching the clock of a job. If you got a job that will limit your degree to lead, If you're really leading, yes, you have to do your job and do it well, especially if you're in a management position and you're responsible to another person above you. But you can also demonstrate for the company, for your group, such a dedication to success because of your fundamental optimism and your fundamental ability to redefine success not according to your ability to follow a bunch of rules and regulations and plans that you devised but upon your ability to bring your team united to the goal that is desired. And Catholics, Christians, we ought to be excellent at this because it's called the riddle of life. As we proceed on the pilgrimage of life and the ups and downs and the valleys, always confident in God's love, able to redefine success away from perfection and towards perseverance. At the same time, I've got to practice that pivoting by being willing to change in different circumstances. There's two parts to it. You see, the first is the deep grasp of success beyond the model and the plan that you might have. And the second is the freedom of the heart to be able to make that change. Some people just don't have that freedom, but I here I, I want to kind of like say there's an advantage for the Christian who understands forgiveness, understands mercy, If we can somehow appropriately apply that in the world of work, how wonderfully adapt we would be at making the changes necessary to move our organizations forward. If my heart is free, in other words, of judgment and of shame and of blame, and I think it would be great for you to look at your own organizations and ask, am I leading my people in that kind of freedom? Or do I exhibit a culture of blame and of imprisonment to the past if i do i'm not leading in the name of christ how wonderful that it as a christian to embody that same sense of putting our people first and allowing them maybe to make mistakes in order to create that spirit of leadership that will bring our organizations to success no matter what
0: there are great things for christ Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at org. That's info at org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.